I established a MAGA, America First coalition of Secretary of State candidates around the country. Oh, and good. when my coalition get elected, we're going to fix the whole country. Yeah, that's what we're afraid of, Jim Marchant, Secretary of State candidate in Nevada. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. People powered radio all. Also, we're heard in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internet. on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Reminder, we are 100% funded by listeners like you. Not the Kremlin, not the Democratic Party, or any party, or any corporation, and I at least am 100% transparent about all of that. So you can rest assured there are no hidden agendas on this program other than the agenda to fight like hell to save our democracy, to protect what is left of it. Uh, as we have been doing for nearly 20 years now, although that uh, agenda is not particularly hidden. Quickly, my thanks to Nicole Sandler for filling in for us on Friday's broadcast as both Desi Doyen and I stood down to, among other things, get our latest COVID shot and flu shot because things have gone so well for me in previous COVID jabs. I, uh, I thought I would add, the, add in the flu shot on the same day just to make it a challenge. And uh, how was it? Well, uh, some thoughts on that in a moment, Des. Okay. Hi. Uh, Hi. If, if you missed uh, Nicole's show on Friday, I just want to note her and her excellent interview with authors Corey Doctorow and Rebecca Giblin on, uh, on their new book, Choke Point Capitalism, how big tech and big content captured creative labor markets and how we will win them back. You can, as always, download that show and all of our broadcasts from, oh, I don't know, the last 15 or 20 years or so for free 
at bradblog.com. As to my uh, latest fun with COVID shots, uh, well, I've tr- I've tried to share with listeners how, other than helping to, uh, you know, keep me from becoming deathly ill from COVID, the vaccines uh, have been a less than pleasant experience for me, even even if that unpleasantness has been short-lived compared to an actual potentially deadly case of COVID. Thanks in no small part to those shots, three of them over the past two years until last Friday. Now we're at four and regular indoor masking whenever possible in crowded locations in particular. I have been able to avoid getting COVID really anything else for that matter over these uh, now two and a half years, almost three years of the pandemic. As listeners may remember, the first COVID shot for me was the worst with fever and chills and headaches all night and over the bulk of the next day, even though Desi Doyen suffered pretty much not at all. Jealous. Yes. (laughs) And that has been the case with her for pretty much all of the shots. And she even had an extra one above and beyond the one I had. She said you have had five of them now, right? Yes. And uh, they've all been uh, just a walk in the park. Exactly. Not a problem. And, you know, hey, I'm, I'm totally fine with not also not having gotten flu over the last couple of years. That's been awesome, too. All right. But let's go back to this shot thing, because I hate you. And I just want everybody to understand <laughs> that. Uh, well, so listen, I pointed out the terrible day or two that I had with the first shot at the at, at, at the time to explain that as horrible as it was, I actually saw it as good news because... While I was absolutely miserable for about a day and a half, the takeaway for me was that, man, if this is anything like actual COVID, I am really glad I got this shot because I knew that it was, you know, that I was going to get better in the next, you know, 24 hours or so, which I did. Unlike with actual COVID, which who knows how many weeks or months or longer or be potentially killed by it. So the shot taught me that if real COVID was anything like that, I do not want it. So until Friday, as I said, I had three jabs, all manufactured by Moderna. Each one, however, was subsequently less debilitating for me than the previous one. So they've gotten easier and easier. And I heard from uh, others who had had a similarly rough reaction to these uh, uh, vaccines that... Um, who had uh, people who had then got this uh, new bi- Pfizer bivalent booster, which helps prevent both classic COVID and the more recent Omicron strains. They said they had no problems with this new shot. And once again, of course, that was the case for Desi. Me, on the other hand, well, I did get some fever in the middle of the night. No, no chills as I had previously. It was fairly mild fever. It dissipated pretty early on, on uh, Saturday morning. I was kind of conked out for the entirety of the day, however, mostly just feeling tired and, and a little fluish. But in fact, I had taken a flu shot uh, at the same time in the other arm. So really, none of this is a great test of how impactful this Pfizer bivalent COVID booster shot actually was, other than to say, I am really glad I took it. Today, I'm feeling fine. In fact, I was pretty much 100% by Sunday already. I would say my experience uh, continues that each shot has been less impactful than the previous one. That's a long way of saying that both flu and COVID season is upon us once again. Uh, as is the vaccine uh, misinformationists and disinformationists uh, season out there. 
But the uh, the virus doesn't pay attention to mis- and disinformation. The uh, daily COVID death rates, according to the conservative CDC numbers today, is still about 300 per day in the U.S. And it takes about three weeks for the shots to take maximum effect. So now it's a great time for folks to get their shots and help all of us get through the cooler weather when folks start gathering indoors again for elections, which we will talk about with my guest shortly, and uh, for the holidays when COVID is likely to begin surging again. The CDC has advised folks to target no later than Halloween, October 31, to get your latest COVID shot to be prepared for the fall and to uh, help not kill your grandmother or yourself or those around us who are immunocompromised who can't enjoy the luxury of a free COVID vaccine shot to help keep them safe this season. Meanwhile, over the weekend, as you've likely heard, Ukraine's offensive against their invading imperialist foe has continued to knock Russia back on its heels. Over the weekend, coinciding with uh, Vladimir Putin's 70th birthday, the sole bridge linking Russian annexed Crimea to the Russian mainland was knocked out by an explosion that collapsed part of the 12-mile bridge, which is a critical military supply route uh, for Russia and their faltering battle in the uh, south of Ukraine. Uh, Crimea, the bridge, the beginning, wrote an advisor to Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky in a Twitter post on Saturday just after the explosion on the bridge. He said, quote, everything illegal must be destroyed. Everything stolen returned to Ukraine. All Russian occupiers expelled. In response to the attack on that uh, military supply line that reportedly killed three on Friday night or Saturday morning, overnight, Sunday and into Monday, Russia responded with an expansion of their war crimes campaign against their sovereign neighbor, bombing civilian urban centers and infrastructure, a barrage of deadly attacks on cities across the across Ukraine, hitting the heart of the country's capital, Kyiv. Once again, as part of a wave of strikes against civilians and infrastructure, in this case not seen since the earliest days of the war. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced in a televised address that his military had launched a, quote, massive strike on Ukraine's, quote, energy, military command and communications facilities, telling his Security Council it was revenge for what he called Kyiv's long track record of, quote, terrorist attacks including the bridge blast, though after months of bombardment against its sovereign neighbor, including against civilian targets, killing thousands, it's kind of difficult to stomach Putin's characterization of a Ukrainian response against a military supply line as a, quote, terrorist action. Really? Uh, you know, that would be like the U.S. when we attacked a sovereign Iraq, complaining about them fighting back at us, calling it a terrorist action. And yes, we did do that. And yes, we called them out on this program at the time for doing so. We are not switching sides here. We were anti-war then. We are anti-war now. We opposed uh, imperialist invasions of sovereign nations then. We oppose them now. Pretty easy to uh, keep our position straight here. Uh, anyway, the Russian leader also issued a threat, quote, if attempts to carry out terrorist attacks on our territory continue, Russia's responses will be tough and will correspond in scale to the level of threats posed to Russia. 
Of course, this is an imperialist war of aggression by an authoritarian regime against the sovereign democratic neighbor. If Putin really wanted uh, you know, attacks what he considers to be uh, his sovereign nation to stop, well, he could simply stop the attacks on Ukraine. It is that easy, and he could give back what he has invaded and unlawfully annexed. It would be largely as easy as that. But that's not what he wants to do. He wants to uh, send out a whole bunch of mis- and disinformation over your public airwaves in hopes that uh, you don't notice who could end this war immediately by sunset tonight. Anyway, from the bloody battle between autocracy and democracy abroad to a far less bloodier version, at least so far, back here in the U.S., with Election Day now less than one month away. Now, I've got a guest standing by to join me momentarily, but I need to note that while I had hoped to open up the phone lines today, we are once again this week having problems with the internal phone network here at the station. Uh, so unfortunately, I can't take any calls. Uh, no, it's not because of FunDrive. Yes, we are having a FunDrive here at KPFK, but the fact is we're having problems with the phones and hoping to have them fixed soon. However, if you would like to ring in on anything that we discussed today, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com or via Twitter. I'll try to check both. You'll find me there at the Brad Blog. And if time allows, at the end of today's show, I can try to uh, uh, share uh, some of those uh, thoughts on air. Bradcast at bradblog.com via email or the Brad Blog on Twitter. In both cases, keep your thoughts short and sweet, and there's a better chance I'll have time to share them later on. But ever since Hurricane Ian made its brutal landfall in Florida late last month, clocking in as one of the deadliest and most destructive storms to hit the Sunshine State in about, oh, I don't know, 100 years, with more than 125 now confirmed as dead and devastation across huge swaths of the state, we have been wondering how the heck Floridians will be able to vote at all in the critical upcome elections on November 8, as much of the country has already begun early voting. But in Florida, thousands of homes have been destroyed entirely, or they're completely unlivable, along with locations in some areas of the state that would uh, have been used as polling locations. There's a bunch of critical races this year in the state of Florida, including headline races for both governor and U.S. Senate. There's a heated challenge, according to pre-election polling, between Republican Senator Marco Rubio and his Democratic challenger for re-election, Congresswoman Val Demings, and even between Republican Governor Ron DeSantis and his Democratic challenger, former Governor Charlie Crist. Amid the rubble late last week, the election supervisor in Lee County, which is home to Fort Myers, arguably the hardest uh, hit portion of the state, the election supervisor there announced he had come up with a plan to pull off the November elections. Supervisor Tommy Doyle is asking Governor DeSantis to sign off on his plan requesting to open 12 countywide voting centers, explaining anyone in the county can vote at any one of those sites. Normally, the county would have 97 sites on Election Day. But Boyle told the uh, local ABC affiliate there that he doesn't have enough poll workers to pull that off. He's urging people to vote by mail if possible. He says there's still time to request an absentee ballot. 
If Florida voters have not yet done so, he says he is making it easy to request your ballot. Uh, there'll be a drive through outside of the downtown Fort Myers office allowing you to pick up uh, and fill out a paper request form, though getting to the uh, downtown Fort Myers facility is likely difficult for many, uh, especially many who have lost everything. And, uh, you know, wh- where will they have those uh, vote by mail ballots sent if their houses and mailboxes have been blown away, much less their personal belongings like photo ID? That is needed uh, to vote in the state. If approved by the governor, however, Tommy Doyle's uh, plan, those uh, 12 early voting sites converted into voting centers for all, uh, they would be open from October 24 through November 8. Longer than usual, I believe. Doyle says he has plans to have all election offices reopened by Wednesday of this week. Of course, Lee County wasn't the only one disrupted in Florida by the brutality of that storm fueled by the climate change that many of the state's Republican leaders who are on the ballot this year have refused to even recognize as real, much less take action to mitigate. And yet this is not the first hurricane, obviously, that has struck the Sunshine State just days or weeks before uh, Election Day. And while I really don't have the heart to ask any of the current election officials in the state to take time off to talk with us as they scramble to try to put together an election for November 8, I do have just the person to discuss all of this about uh, with uh, nonetheless. Joining us again today, it's our old friend Ion Sancho, who served nearly 30 years as the elected supervisor of elections in Leon County, Florida, which includes the state capital of Tallahassee, before he sadly retired in 2016, happily for him, I suspect. Uh, as we always like to note when he joins us, Ion was and still is so well-respected by his peers on both the right and the left in the state that he was tapped by the uh, state to oversee the historic presidential recount of the contentious and ridiculously close election between George W. Bush and Al Gore in the year 2000, at least until the GOP was successful in getting the U.S. Supreme Court to shut down that recount, thus awarding the presidency to Bush. Anyway, Ion uh, Sancho has been a great champion of voting rights and election integrity for decades. I am delighted to welcome him back to the broadcast today. Oh, Mr. Sancho, thank you, sir, for joining us once again. How are you doing today? Well, more importantly, sir, how are you doing today? I'm not sure even where you are now. And, and if you are in Ian's path, uh, do, do you uh, did, did you all survive the storm in good order personally, Ion? Yes, yes. The, the storm actually hit 300 miles away from my residence. Um, good. The only tangible, we, we had some wind. Mm-hmm. We had no rain because we were on the non-rain side of of the of the wind pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will tell you that all of our local water bodies, uh, the Wakulla River, which is about twenty five minutes from uh, my home, mm-hmm. and uh, Ocklawney Bay, which is about forty minutes from my home, mm-hmm. those they were drained of their water. The storm sucked all of the water. Really. Right out of the rivers, right out of the bay, and pulled it toward the southeast, toward the area that was hit by the hurricane. It, it's amazing. Wow. Um, Have you ever seen that happen before? No, I've never seen that happen before. Um, now, the last hurricane that hit in this area was actually only about um, 
75 miles to my west mm -hmm. and it didn't and, the, and that and that same thing didn't happen but it depends on where the the impact of the storm is and if it hits on that west coast of florida it will pull all the water out of the panhandle mm -hmm. in that direction wow. it's an amazing thing to have seen we'll call it river empty yeah, that is amazing. And I think uh, the, the previous hurricane you're talking about was Hurricane Michael. I want to talk to you about that in a second, but I'm glad to hear that uh, you are at least okay. Let me uh, focus for a moment on Lee County, the hardest hit in the state, I think, Ion. Uh, yes. is, is the plan to go from 90-something uh, community-based precincts to just 12 voting centers where anybody can vote uh, with some, I think, expanded hours uh, and, and days for early voting? Is that, A, adequate for the county, and B, has the plan yet uh, been approved by uh, Governor DeSantis, as far as you know? Well, we don't know whether it'll be adequate or not. It's going to have an impact on the voters. We know, for example, that in 20, um, 2016, Michael reduced the turnout in the panhandle by 8%. The panhandle is the least populated portion of the state of Florida, unlike the area that was hit, mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the more densely populated areas along the coast, the Fort Myers Beach mm -hmm. area. Um, I, I, you know, I, I used to vacation down there. Mm -hmm. The Supervisor of Elections Conference has had meetings actually uh, there, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it's, it's a terrible situation. I don't know if Supervisor Doyle can do anything but what he can do, which is the fact that most of the precinct sites have been destroyed. Mm -hmm. There's no there's no way to actually open them up. Mm -hmm. uh, he has staffing and facilities for four of these uh, boat centers, and he plans to run them all the way through with expanded hours, uh, all the way through election day, which is illegal under Florida. You may not mm. have early voting, for example, or a vote center open on Monday and on election day. Uh -huh. um, however, this is not asking for something that's new. It, it, as you noted, four years ago, there was a hurricane that hit. And actually all of these suggestions that Supervisor Doyle are suggesting to Governor DeSantis are exactly what Governor Scott issued following the strike of Michael mm -hmm. on Bay County. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that we are all on pins and needles because Whereas Governor Scott issued his executive order giving the supervisor of elections his expanded authority to deal with his voters, Governor Scott issued that order eight days after the hurricane hit. Mm. We are now on day 12, and Governor DeSantis is not told any supervisor anything. And we're getting close to when we need information. This is uh, the supervisors are on pins and needles right now. Yeah. Well, They're I, on pins and needles. I, I suspect they are because that's, by the way, that's not the only county that was affected, uh, correct, by by uh, uh, Hurricane Ian? Oh, no, there's at least, I, I would count at least nine counties. It, it caused a swath of destruction across the state in, in a, a kind of a diagonal angle impacting on, on Fort Myers and, and exiting up, up, up above... Uh, uh, Ormond Beach in Flagler County. And I, I will tell you, this is a huge number of voters. And those voters in the interior, their damage 
was mostly flooding. Uh -huh. The rivers that this hurricane went over, they all overflowed their banks. Um, from the Caloosahatchee down on the west side to, to the St. John's River uh, up, uh, up on the northeast end. It's been chaotic. Um, and, and the supervisors need to have some direction here from the governor, who, by the way, is the chief election official in this state because the governor appoints the secretary of state. Right. And as the secretary of state, Corey Bird, has told us, he can do nothing until the governor tells him what to do. Do we have any that's, do we have any that's idea where we are. that any idea what the holdup is for uh DeSantis? I mean I I suspect there is some sort of a, a political pickle here because you had a lot of Republicans during COVID saying, well, you know, other states and uh, officials are making these emergency proclamations but they're completely unconstitutional. Uh they don't have the authority to do that. Is that what we're looking at here is is DeSantis uh you know, looking at this and saying, man, I, I, I can't make these changes, even though well, it is an emergency. It's hard to say because DeSantis is actually one of the closer to the vest governors that we have. He does not have he does not allow the senior leadership team of the Republican Party to influence what he says. Mm -hmm. He is not dependent there on them. In fact, He's flipped the script, and so the Republican Party said depended on him. And this is a dicey situation because Governor DeSantis has restricted the flexibility of supervisor of elections toward vote-by-mail drop boxes. A supervisor of elections that does not properly supervise the box, a drop box, for example, is subject to a $25,000 personal fine, mm. which is designed to intimidate the election officials. Sure. It's, uh, but... Again, supervisor of elections can do nothing to, to, to alter the laws unless the governor says so. And so, but the governor has restricted vote-by-mail drop boxes in SB 90, the legislation mm -hmm. that was signed this past spring. And uh, it, he's in a pickle. He needs to provide expanded voting access. And that is made more critical by the fact that the areas that were hit are two to one Republican over Democrat. Mm. Two to one. Mm. Um, uh, probably over 700,000 registered voters are Republican compared to about 400,000 are Democrats in these areas. So as as I mentioned earlier, there was an 8% decline in, in, in voter turnout after Michael. Mm -hmm. um, this kind of throws a wild card into this. And I'm sorry, the governor is not... Uh, not Shandu the magician, and it's not going to be able to forecast what is going to happen. Yes. No one is. It, the yes. best that we can hope for is give the supervisor of elections the same kind of flexibility that Governor Scott gave the supervisors in the panhandle mm -hmm. to deal with Michael. But he may be loath to do that because it means he has to recant some of the things that he did this past legislative session mm -hmm. so again it's probably political more than anything else hopefully we can get a decision within the next 48 hours early voting is supposed to start in florida two weeks from tomorrow brad two weeks and as we know in lee county their election offices don't even begin until tomorrow the poll worker training classes to train people how to properly process the election in Lee County was supposed to start on October 3rd.
There have been no poll worker training classes in Lee County at all. Um, so it's going to be an emergency kind of situation. And the governor must give the elected election official the authority and the flexibility to conduct a successful election. You know, Ion uh, Sancho, when when I uh, wanted to have you on, I was hoping you were going to show up and say, oh, don't worry about this. The election official, I know the uh, supervisors of elections around the state, they got this. They, you know, we've dealt with storms before because uh, it is storm season right before, you know, election season. And they happened at the same time in Florida. I, I would have presumed knowing that that the state legislature at the very least would have put provisions in place to account for something like this, that as difficult as it might be, that they would have a, a, a plan for what happens when hurricanes hit in the middle of election season. It sounds like the state is still completely unprepared for that. Is that fair to say? Well, you've got to remember at the same time this happened, we lost Secretary of State Laura Lee, who resigned to run for a congressional seat in the Tampa area. Mm -hmm. So there is no state leadership at the Secretary of State's office mm -hmm. relative to this. The law really requires that the local county election official conduct the election using the state laws. So we, we've got this situation where you need cooperation. You need to be sitting down and talking to one another. You need to be assisting in this process. And this it's just we, we don't know what's happening at this point. We just don't know, Brad. Wow. Governor DeSantis has not given any in, uh, indications to Tommy Doyle, for example, who released his plan that you mentioned. Again, a plan that's based mm -hmm. upon what Bay County did in 2016. Mm -hmm. He released that almost a week ago. When <laughs> is the governor going to respond? And, and just to underscore, we are four weeks away from Election Day. I have already received my ballot in the mail here in California. The rest of the country, many states are open for early voting, and we don't even know how they're going to be able to do it in Florida. And I want to underscore, by the way, since I mentioned the, the you know, the political aspect of this, uh, I, I, to me, this is not a political issue. The people in Lee County and the other affected counties need to be able to vote. And I look at that devastation and I wonder how they are going to do it. I'm happy to see, you know, some of the supervisors stepping up, trying to make a plan. But I am just absolutely flummoxed, Ion, by uh, the notion that Governor DeSantis hasn't hasn't addressed this yet at all. What? Well, and not only that, yeah. Brad, I will tell you that the state of Florida is flush with federal COVID dollars. Mm -hmm. Flush. And the way those works is, is is that the governor's going to have the ability to spend those in the manner in which he likes. For example, it was the $12 million that he used, to, that he has at his disposal yeah. um, to send uh, those seeking asylum mm -hmm. to uh, Martha's Vineyard, yes. that's federal money. Yep. He ha we have money. The issue is not money. Uh, the, the issue is making a decision and making it quickly. And can he do that? 
Ayan Sancho, you have seen a lot of these uh, storms over the years uh, and a lot of uh, elections following them. Um, do you have at this point any confidence that Florida is going to be able to pull this off? Or is this just now anybody's guess as far as what goes on? Because, you know, when I see these pictures, I think these people don't have mailboxes to receive vote by mail ballots. They don't have they you know, many of them have their all of their belongings blown away, including their photo ID for voting. I mean, there needs to be a lot done between now and, well, I don't know, two weeks ago in order to pull this off, Ion. Yes, yes, there is. But one thing that I will put out there, even though we have a law that says that you should present voter ID to vote, Florida voters, if they're registered to vote, don't need an ID to cast a legal ballot. Good. They don't. Good. They don't. If you don't have an ID, you can fill out what's called a provisional ballot, which looks almost identical to a vote-by-mail ballot. Mm -hmm. They go into the main office, which has clipped every signature of every registered voter. And if the signatures match, the ballot counts irrespective of whether you had ID or not. Good. The bigger issue, though, as you correctly mentioned, is the supervisor of elections of Lee County just sent out thousands of vote-by-mail ballots. <laughs> there are no mailboxes right. in thousands of addresses. What is going to become of that? And I noticed, for example, that Sarasota, that was also hit, their supervisor of elections there, Ron Turner, is saying, Contact the post office. They might be holding your ballots if you don't have a place to deliver them. Uh -huh. They may be holding them. Right. So it, which means that there is not a concrete plan yet set up because you, uh -huh. either, you either, they are either holding them or they're not going to when we're not sure. Um, so there is still work to be done. I don't care what the party affiliations of those people are. Yep. They have a right under our constitution, under the state constitution, to cast a ballot. Yep. yep. Uh, just as an aside, you know, there's no federal right to vote in any federal election in the United States. I'm telling you that as mm -hmm. someone who lived through the 2000 election yep. and had votes not counted because there is no constitutional federal right to vote in America. Your right to vote is totally dependent upon your state authorities in this country. 50 state election officials overrunning Mm -hmm. overseeing 50 state election procedures. Um, so Florida has a difficult road to hoe. There's really no federal role in this whole thing. And I don't know how the people who have lost their homes, who their cars have been destroyed and, and thousands of cars will never be used again. And don't ever buy a used car from Florida. If you can, if you can uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, avoid it. Yeah. Um, you know, you, it's it's a it's a terrible thing. We're right in the middle of it. We don't have a plan that has been set forth by the governor. And that's where we are right now. Unbelievable. Uh, very disturbing. I, I thought, well, Ion's going to make me feel better. Ion, you did not make me feel any better. <laughs> I'm I'm really concerned about all of this. And the point you make about the the, you know, the affirmative right to vote. That is one of the things that Democrats have been trying to do with the uh, uh, the the Right to Vote Act in Congress, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Uh, they've been held up, unfortunately, by all 50 Republicans 
and two Democrats in the uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, that is just one of the reasons why this coming election is so critical. I'm going to take a break, come back and talk a little bit about that uh, uh, momentarily. But Ion, thank you for filling us in on all of this. Uh, if things change for the better or frankly for the worse, please shout out. We'll have you on again between now and Election Day, as I say, only four weeks away. Uh, this is as troubling as I feared it would be. Ion Sancho is the former Leon County, Florida Supervisor of Elections, where he served for almost 30 years. Uh, you can follow him on uh, the Twitters. He is Ion Sancho One. That's the number one. Ion Sancho One. Ion, always great speaking with you, my friend. Glad you're doing okay in any event after Ian. Thanks for keeping up the good fight uh, down there for the voters, sir. Thank you very much. And and as uh, soon as I hear anything about what the plan is, I will contact you. Thank you, brother. You are the best. All right. We've got to take a quick break and we will come back with more on the broadcast, as I said, uh, focusing again on democracy and just how critical these upcoming elections are, not just in Florida, where at this hour, I would say it's dubious whether there's going to be an election at all in much of the state, but in all uh, 50 counties around uh, the country. We're going to talk about that and more. Maybe your uh, emails and or tweets. Uh, if you want to email me, I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Uh, and on the Twitters, you will find me at the Bradblog if we have time for any of that. Much more straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> You're listening to the American Democracy Minute, keeping your government by and for the people. We've been spending time this week on the origins and outline of Moore v. Harper, the important Supreme Court case testing a fringe constitutional doctrine called the independent state legislature theory. If embraced by the majority, it could alter American democracy as we've known it for 235 years. At stake is whether state legislatures have the ultimate authority over elections, higher authority than federal statutes and courts, higher than state Supreme Courts, and higher than a governor's veto. The U.S. Supreme Court has already said in 2019 that only state courts have the authority to decide partisan redistricting and gerrymandering cases. That decision essentially greenlighted widespread gerrymandering in the 2020 redistricting process. The Brennan Center for Justice and other scholars suggest that with unchecked power, legislatures could change the slate of electors for a presidential election or overturn election results. Ballot initiatives could be nullified. State legislatures could ignore the U.S. or state constitution's voting right provisions and establish new, more draconian barriers to voting. Existing state laws like early voting or voting by mail could be repealed without the check of a gubernatorial veto. In short, the impact of Moore v. Harper could reshape American and democracy, and it could be one of the most consequential and destructive Supreme Court decisions of our time. More on the case and groups taking action can be found at AmericanDemocracyMinute.org. For the American Democracy Minute, I'm Brian Beal. Hey, this is Brad. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like, or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves. 
by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Retired Brigadier General Don Balduck, the Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate in New Hampshire this year. He was not just a casual supporter of uh, Donald Trump's big lie that the 2020 election was somehow stolen from him when, in fact, Trump was the one trying to steal it for himself. In May of 2021, Bulldock signed an open letter with 123 other retired generals and admirals stating that the 2020 election was rigged in Joe Biden's favor. 123 of our retired generals and admirals saying that it was rigged for Joe Biden and that the supposed fraud had put the nation in, quote, deep peril, according to this letter. Bulldog also bragged about signing that letter at a GOP candidate debate as uh, recently as August when he said he was proud to stand by it and he would not be switching horses. I signed a letter with 120 other generals and admirals saying that Trump won the election and damn it, I stand by my election. Damn it, he stands by it. He uh, says he he believes very much. Uh, he said, I very much believe it. And I think it exists. Uh, he told The New Yorker last year when asked whether he genuinely believed that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump through fraud. But when he was then asked on Fox News just last month, the day after he was declared the winner of the New Hampshire GOP primary to become the uh, candidate for the U.S. Senate. When he was asked whether he stands by that today, well, the retired Army Brigadier General hemmed and hawed his way to an extraordinary 180-degree flip-flop. So, you know, we, uh, we, we uh, you know, live and learn, right? Um, and I've done a lot of research on this, and I've spent the past couple of weeks talking to Granite Staters all over the state uh, from, uh, you know, every party. And I have come to the conclusion, and I want to be definitive on this, the election was not stolen. But elections have <laughs> consequences. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, President Biden is the legitimate president of this country. Mm -hmm. You know, lying has consequences, or at least it should, or at least it used to. Now, he's hardly the first one to make that abrupt switch uh, after receiving the nomination. Former triage nurse and Washington state's Republican Senate candidate Tiffany Smiles, she used to wear her denialism with pride, according to Kyla F uh, Filo at uh, TPM, with statements like, quote, the 2020 elections raise serious questions about the integrity of our elections. Uh, then, of course, that was until early August when, as Axios reported, she removed all of that stuff from her website after winning the nomination. There seems to be a growing pattern of Republican congressional candidates sort of snuffing out their denialism once they hit the general election, at least some of them. Now, some of them haven't even ad admitted their belief uh, about a stolen election out loud. I guess it depends on how swingy their swing state is. Colorado Republican congressional candidate Eric Adlin, for example, he's running for Congress 
in the state's 7th congressional district. He was exposed to be a believer in the big lie. For some reason, he didn't want that to get out. But there was a recording that surfaced of him uh, noting that he doesn't want to use that kind of language on the campaign trail because he's strategic. He says, quote, I don't go out and talk about election integrity on and on and on because it's not an issue that wins us this race. He doesn't want to talk about it. So, yeah, don't be fooled by what these folks say now that they've, you know, won their party's nomination and they're trying to hoax voters who may not be as quite as far right in a general election as they uh, needed to appeal to during the primary. There's a whole lot of flip flopping going on, including in Pennsylvania's critical U.S. Senate race between Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman and Republican TV doctor Mehmet Oz. Way back in April, during a debate between Republican candidates vying at the time for the GOP Senate nomination, Dr. Oz said, quote, we cannot move on from the 2020 election and that it was, quote, a tragedy that Republican voters in the state should have to question the results. He also gave a noncommittal response on Fox News before winning the nomination when he was asked whether he believed the election was stolen. He said, quote, there's lots more information we have to gather in order to determine that. He notably refused to clarify his beliefs on the topic, at least until after he secured the GOP nomination, when his campaign spokesperson told a political reporter, quote, Dr. Oz has made it clear that he would have voted to certify the results of the 2020 election. So it was a tragedy. We can't move on from it, but I would have voted for it. So, you know, they will say what they think they need to say. They will flip and flop as they need to flip and flop in order to try and win the primary. And then they will flip and flop again when they need to try and appeal to a less MAGA general electorate. But again, do not be fooled because when they think that they can get away with it, when they think that they're only speaking to their you know right wing peeps, they're saying one thing and then they're already flip flopping and flipping and flopping on that flip flop. Surprise, Don Bolduck, that New Hampshire U.S. Senate candidate who suddenly declared on Fox News last month that he'd come to realize the election wasn't stolen. Well, he may not have been telling the truth about his feelings there either. During an appearance on a podcast hosted by a QAnon influencer just eight days after that Fox interview when he claimed the election wasn't stolen, well... He said uh, he admitted that he knew he needed to water down his 2020 election conspiracy theories to something that was less unhinged for general voters in the Granite State, where he's now facing off against New Hampshire Democrat Senator uh, Maggie Hassan in November. Baldock said, quote, the narrative that the election was stolen, it doesn't fly up there, up here in New Hampshire, for whatever reason. Maybe because New Hampshire voters know better. Maybe because there's zero evidence that the 2020 election was actually stolen. But what does fly, Bolduck continued, is that there was a significant fraud and it needs to be fixed. That, he said, before going on to rail against voting by mail and allowing out-of-state college students to vote. You know, as the U.S. Supreme Court has long ago determined that out-of-state uh, college students may absolutely do in the school in which they go to, in the state in which they go to school. But we've seen similar switcheroos on all of this from all of these various candidates turning themselves into knots 
and just out and out lying. Um, for example, uh, the GOP secretary of state nominee in the critical battleground state of Arizona, Mark Fincham. He's an election denying oath keeper, by the way. He was outside the Capitol on January 6th. He told Time magazine that as secretary of state, he would uh, c- certify a Biden victory in 2024. Quote, if there is no fraud, adding I think you're proposing something that, quite frankly, is a fantasy. Sure, he'd certify it as long as there was no fraud, but that could never possibly happen. It's a fantasy that there wouldn't be fraud in 2024, according to Arizona's Republican Secretary of State nominee. And therefore, if he were to win in that battleground state of Arizona, he would not certify a Democratic victory. It sure as hell sounds like it. Fincham argued that Biden's 2020 victory in Arizona, quote, strains credibility because, uh, said Fincham, he, quote, can't find anyone who will admit that they voted for Joe Biden. Well, that seals the deal. Hey, by the way, Mark, I know plenty of people in Arizona, plenty of whom voted for Joe Biden. Would you like me to introduce you to them? He recently held a fundraiser uh, co-hosted by a Sandy Hook and 9-11 truther. And, yep, she was also a QAnoner. He had a debate with uh, Arizona's Democratic nominee for Secretary of State, Adrian Fontes, who is excellent, by the way. Uh, he's And not just because he's been a guest on this show, uh, but he was a great uh, county recorder for Arizona's largest county, Maricopa. He was a great champion for voters. Mark Fincham is not. Mark Fincham wants to cancel automatic vote by mail in the state, which has been used for decades now by about 80 percent of Arizona voters after that was approved, uh, a permanent vote by mail list was approved by a Republican state legislature there. But now, all of a sudden, they've decided, well, we don't like absentee voting. But guess what? Public records champion Dylan Rosenblatt of Arizona's Substack newsletter called the uh, Fourth Estate 48, uh, he had this to report late last week. Uh, uh, Up until this year, Mark Fincham, the conspiracy theorist, stop the steal, election denying Republican candidate for Arizona secretary of state, automatically received his own ballot via the mail. Public records obtained by Rosenblatt revealed that was the case. And it has been the case ever since uh, he was at least since he was a libertarian back in 2008. Despite that, Fincham has been a strong advocate of ending no excuse mail-in voting for all Arizonans, which has been in place for decades. And as I said, used by 80 percent of the electorate. Fincham, during that debate against the uh, Democratic challenger Adrian Fontes, The former Maricopa County recorder last month, he claimed he always goes to vote at the polls. I don't care for mail-in voting. That's why I go to the polls. Oh, is it really, Mark? Really? Because your voting record for the past decade and a half says otherwise, sir. And yet you want to be the state's top election official in Arizona, and you want to be the one to decide whether the 2024 election in the state will be certified or not. His statement 
that he always, I go to the polls. Well, that was a lie. He doesn't go to the polls, and he didn't until this year, 2022, when it had become an issue that Republicans decided they needed to have in order to make it easier to steal elections. Then there are those candidates who, uh, at least when they show up at rallies with Donald Trump, as Nevada's Republican Secretary of State nominee Jim Marchant did this week, there are those ca candidates who are proud to promise that they will undermine American democracy in 2024 if you give them the chance by electing them in 2022. Here was Marchant, Republican Secretary of State nominee in the battleground state of Nevada, at the Trump rally there, just this past Saturday. Is this the greatest president in American history or not? So we have something in common. President Trump and I lost an election in 2020 because of a rigged election. I've been working since November 4th, 2020 to expose what happened. And what I found out is horrifying. And when I'm Secretary of State of Nevada, we're going to fix it. And when my coalition of Secretary of State candidates around the country get elected, we're going to fix the whole country. And President Trump is going to be president again in 2024. They're going to fix the whole country. You know, I, I'd say that as, is at least one that you can take to the bank if it's up to Jim Marchant, who has, uh, you know, heads up this coalition of election denying secretary of state uh, candidates around the country. Now, last week, Washington Post uh, wrote in a detailed analysis, quote, a majority of Republican nominees on the ballot this November for the House, the Senate and key statewide offices, 299 in all, have denied or questioned the outcome of the last presidential election. Candidates who have challenged or refused to accept Joe Biden's victory are running in every region of the country and in nearly every state. Republican voters in three states nominated election deniers in all federal and statewide races that the Post examined. Although some are running in heavily Democratic areas and are expected to lose, most of the election deniers nominated are likely to win, the Post notes. Of the nearly 300 on the ballot, 173 are running for safely Republican seats and another 52 will appear on the ballot in tightly contested races. Do not be fooled. At this point, if they are Republican at any level on the ballot, it is safe to assume that they support the big lie that Trump won the election. If they won't say it out loud, they will still act upon it as soon as they are given the chance and the power to do so. They will vote to restrict voting. They will vote against the lawful certification of elections, even without any evidence that an election was fraudulent in any way. They do not care. This is one of the reasons that I am advising you and I have have been advising you for the first time in uh, some 20 years of covering elections. I have never done this before. I have never advised this before to vote for the Democrat on this year's ballot period. And that's not because I give a damn about Democrats. It is because I care about democracy and the freedoms that it represents as imperfect as it all may still be under America's form of 
constitutional representative democracy. At least if you care about things like electoral democracy and about not having your privacy rights stolen from you by a corrupt far-right authoritarian party who has no belief or interest anymore in any of those things, well, I hope you will understand the importance of this election in 2022 to protect the next presidential election in 2024. And all of this is before the stolen, packed, and corrupted U.S. Supreme Court. Here's a case by the name of Moore v. Harper, a case which, uh, in which they may allow gerrymandered state legislatures in battleground states to name anybody they like as a presidential elector, any slate they wish, no matter what the voters in the state have actually decided on Election Day. If you're sick of hearing me talk about all of this, well, go listen to another show, I guess, because nothing right now is more important for you to understand. Yes, the November election is that critical. Please vote. Please help everyone you know to vote this year. It really does matter. Democracy really is on the ballot. We have got to get out. My thanks to my guest today, Florida's Ion Sancho. To my uh, producer, Desi Doyen, to our board operator, Yaut Orozco, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, as ever, you can download it for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Say-